and welcome to uh, another special edition of the Fence End podcast. Um, I'm joined uh, by one of the usual gang, Fraser. Hi, Fraser. How are you? Evening. All good, thanks. And we're also joined by Carl from The Terrace, who many of you will know um, their products. They do mugs and shirts and throws and all sorts of brilliant fan-led uh, merchandise. So, uh, hi, Carl. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very good. Um, so we're not going to be talking Oxford United and, and, the, and the games. We're going to be sort of talking about um, about the terrace stuff, which I'm sure if you're a football fan, people will, a lot of people will be aware of it. But uh, give us an idea of sort of how it all started, what, what the first piece of merchandise you created was. Um, so, I mean, with the terrace, it's kind of, we've been asked this question kind of numerous times over the years. And every time we get asked it, the story's got a little bit longer, a little bit longer, and it's hard to remember the start <laughs> point. But, I mean, the start point was definitely around kind of three to three and a half years ago. Um, it started as just like a Facebook page that posted funny football images and quotes from games and all that kind of stuff. And I think it all came about from one post went viral. Suddenly we gained tens of thousands of followers. Um, and... We tried to adapt this kind of brand that we were building into what can we do that interests us. It was more about kind of like what can we do um, to kind of build something out of this brand. And one of the things that we'd always felt was, and you know, you guys, I'm sure will relate to it somewhere down the line, is with club shops and club merchandising, um, it's it's quite stale. Has been for probably ten to twenty years now. Um, and that's not of any fault to the clubs. It's, um, you know, there, there are different markets within fan bases to cater for. And you'll go into a club shop and, you know, you'll hit the mug section, the dressing gowns, the plates, the spoons, the everything in between. And everything is just club badge, step and repeat, job done. And there is a market for it. You know, a general fan that wants to buy gifts, that wants to pick up and show their colours. Um, but we kind of feel that there's a massive, massive proportion of general football fan base, when you consider all clubs, that aren't looking for that. And they're not catered for in the slightest. Um, you know, I think it's a, a worthy note that we've not really spoke about before is I think it's worthwhile remembering that club badges change. You know, you guys will be familiar that your club badge has changed. And, you know, every football club's badge has changed over the decades. Not often, but they do change. And... What we found with, we did a lot of research kind of into sports merchandising, club merchandising, and what we found was that a lot of fans felt that when you're going to picking up a pint glass or a mug or a gift for someone, when it's or a t-shirt or a hoodie or whatever, if it's just got the club badge on it, it has that feel that it's been bought from the market, kind of like the guys on the market that just kind of counterfeit products and just stick the club badge on a million products and go to the market. And fans, we always felt, are the, I mean, we see it on Twitter. Um, the football community of football fans is one of the most connective markets there is. Like, fans love their clubs, and we kind of saw this. Our main aim from the start was to disrupt the sports retail industry. Um, it sounds quite aggressive to say that we wanted to disrupt it, but we wanted to turn heads and kind of create a new way of life within merchandising. So, you know, the first products, I mean, it's all been a learning curve for us. We started very naively. Um, you know, we were slapping this left, right and centre on products and then we were getting cease and desist from clubs saying that's got parts of our badge. And, you know, so it was all very up and down to begin with. And then 
rather than knocking it, we got quite a big cease and desist from the FA um, quite a long time ago regarding, I think it was 91 pages long regarding products. So we kind of had to sit down that night and go, right, what are we doing? <laughs> so we kind of stripped everything back and we were like, we still have this vision. We know we can still cause some disruption and change things. And we adapted our products and we, rather than looking at what we couldn't do, we were more interested in what we could do. And that's when the first ever product, the first ever product was a t-shirt for Leighton Orient fans. Um, the club were in trouble. The supporters, trust and similar parties were trying to raise money for the club. And we released a t-shirt that just said in massive letters on it, stand up for the Orient. And we actually gave all profit to the supporters trust. So we, the first product wasn't actually for any profit. It was more of a, this is an opportunity that we can help them and build a connection with a fan base. Um, but I mean, the first product that is retail and for us, the product that was born was the Yeboah kit mug. So we created a kit mug, like the back of Yeboah's shirt. And, you know, a lot of people question whether we're Leeds fans or not, because we do a lot of Leeds products. But where it comes from is that when our first product was the Yeboah kit mug and Leeds fans fell in love with it with an instant and they flocked. So it was kind of like we sat there the next night and we're like, right, this we're hitting the right direction. So I'm, I'm a graphic designer myself. So I was sitting there every night in my living room, designing more kits, mugs and kits after kits after kits, uploading them. And from that point, it literally has just spiraled out of nowhere. Like it's every day is just rapidly growing. And um, it kind of took a massive kind of direction of growth when we licensed with our first club. And that's where the story kind of really began is when we licensed with Exeter City. Um, and then the way kind of, you know, I'm sure listeners will be familiar with how LinkedIn works and stuff. You know, as soon as we were starting to post about licensed products and clubs were, club officials were kind of liking it or comment on it because we'd done the license with them all of their kind of associates within LinkedIn were seeing their activity on LinkedIn. So once you get one club, suddenly three more clubs pop you an email and say, oh, we'd like to be involved in this. Um, and, you know, clubs were contacting us that we had already reached out to, to no response. But it kind of sometimes takes one person to make that little jump and then all the other clubs come following. So I think we've gone, we've gained another 14 licenses in the last 12 months. Um We'd aimed for 12 this year and we've done 14. So we're kind of happy with that. And then, um, but yeah, I think, you know, where it all began was a very different place to where we are now. Um, it's 12 months ago. Well, I mean, 12 months ago is a poor example. 14 months ago, we were running this out of mine and Paul, my business partners, spare rooms and kitchens. So, you know, my kitchen was a goods out department. My spare room we were pressing mugs in there and so on. Um, and now, between then and now, we've gone through two unit upgrades. We're now taking on a secondary unit. Um, you know, there's 24 licenses down the line. And it's um, and we owe it all to the fans at the end of the day. Like, we've kind of had this idea. We've put this idea in front of them. Um, and it's just kind of spreading this disruption and this kind of ethos that merchandising doesn't just have to be the club badge. Fans connect with so much more than that, whether it's famous score lines, kits, and chance and ex-players and moments of history that you can do so much more with than just sticking a club badge on it and 
Yeah. It's a bit of a perfect storm, isn't it? Because as a fan, you look at the stuff that's often in club shops and like you say, it's kind of, there's nothing I really want to spend the money on. If I don't want something with a massive club badge on it or whatever, it's there's not a lot of thought gone into it. You're right, it's kind of badge on on, a, on Correct, random yeah. stuff. But f- equally from the club's point of view, if, if a club's not got a particularly big budget or a big department that can be coming up with stuff, having you guys t- almost taking the pressure off and being able to do stuff for them that they then like you know obviously they'll take a cut it, it's yeah kind of course of, everybody wins Fans everybody does win that, that you want to buy you you've got a business going out of it and clubs are getting stuff that they can sell in their shops it's, it's win 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 it's great. no 100 <laughs> percent. and i mean oxford is actually a prime example of that you know like the team behind oxford that we deal with are just phenomenal like a lot of fans will sit back and be kind of like oh the club shop's this the club shops that the new shirts are this the new shirts that and everyone points it at the club and I think you have to take a step back and actually realize that a club shop is given a budget a budget that has to generate profit there's no question about it you know if that club shop is not generating uh, profit then the next season those fans will also be the first ones moaning that there's no star signings, that people are coming in on free transfers and so on. So there's all one big, one bigger picture. And when a club shop's given up, I mean, I don't speak on behalf of the clubs because it may be different, but the general ethos is that a club shop's given a budget and it's more about what can we get that's of good value that the club can profit from, but also that is going to appeal to the mass market. And obviously the club badge will always, always appeal to the mass market. Um, but where you appeal to a mass market, you're also forgetting about uh, what might be in comparison a small market, but is still a very, very large market. And um, Oxford's a prime example of that. You know, Lee, the guy that we deal with at Oxford, um, he's great to work with and he will call us with ideas. And sometimes it's ideas that the club just don't have the ability to put into place. Um because whether it's because of budgets, whether it's because of design time, whether it's the logistics of actually making it happen. And whereas I think the biggest part of the Terrace's success so far is that we don't hold any stock of any product. So you go onto the store now and order a product, we print it to order. Now catering for the demand that's suddenly become there within the last 12 months. We've had to hire more, we've had to upgrade the machinery, take more machinery, more space. But we're kind of adapting with that demand, so it works for us. With a club, you've got an infrastructure there. You can't suddenly just go and buy loads of machines and staff to run it and so on because you want to do one product. So we kind of tick that box. And like, and you hit the nail on the head, you know. We're catering for a wider variety of connection with fans through merchandising. We've got a business. The club are making money out of it as well. And literally everybody is winning. There's, There's, you know especially the fans, because I think it's been a long time, a very long time of buying the same kind of thing every season and um, they just want something new. So, Carl, you spoke about the um, the clubs that you're in partnership with at the moment. Are those all um, English Football League clubs? Have you, are, they, are you in the uh, Premier League at all? No, or? we're in the Premier League as well. So we license in the Premier League with West Ham, Crystal Palace, Burnley, Fulham. Um, and then we go down through Championship. League One, League Two, non-league conferences and so on, right down to, you know, Scarborough Athletic and Banbury United. And then we also venture out into um, some of the Irish Premier League, so Shamrock Rovers, Cork City and so on. Um, And it's starting to just adapt and adapt and adapt. We've got a couple of clubs in Australia now that want us to handle 
UK operations for their merchandise store because there's a lot of Australians that are over here that won't pay for the shipping rates of Australian merch store. So it's kind of, it's touch wood, it might be starting to go global a little bit. So could you ever have imagined this, say, four years ago, that this is where you, this is where <laughs> Never in a million to. years. Never in a million <laughs> years. Like, you know, I figured I'd be sat, you know, when we, when we were running the terrace at the beginning, it was, like I said, my spare room or my, it was the first instance was actually my living room. So I cornered off half a quarter of my living room, dedicated that to kind of doing everything I needed to do. And I figured, and I had a full-time job at the same time. So did Paul, who I run the business with and. We were both running full-time jobs, nine to five, coming home, doing the terrace till two in the morning, going to bed, getting up for work. So, and I pretty much figured that's how it would be. <clears throat> the terrace would always be a bit of cash on the side and a bit of, you know, an extra secondary income and it wouldn't kind of just sit at that. But I think with Paul and my characteristics, it was never going to sit at that. And I think deep down, we knew it would never sit at that because we were always driving to improve and expand. And that's just happening a little quicker than we anticipated at the moment. So obviously you've got, um, a, uh, you're in a partnership with Banbury United at the moment, um, who are, are sort of close to us because they're managed by two of our former players. Uh, Correct, yeah. who, who were fair, both fairly popular. <clears throat> yeah. um, what's the story there then? How, how did that come about? And what, what's your sort of partnership? So I'm from Banbury, live in Banbury, uh, Banbury born and bred. And um, so our terrace unit is in Banbury. We operate out of Banbury. Um, and I played for Banbury United when I was a teenager and my, you know, I have fond memories of growing up and my grandparents were involved at the club, washing the kits every week and all this kind of stuff. And me growing up was always Banbury United, Banbury United. I played for them, my family was involved in them. And between then, you know, 20 years ago when I was 13 to now at 33, it's kind of, I've been through my kind of way of life and traveled around and moved around and now I'm back kind of where I was born and where I grew up and working in football and we got speaking to our first premises was actually on the downstairs of a cafe in Banbury Town Centre and two doors down with a was a casual wear shop for men's kind of casual wear and the owner was the commercial director at Banbury United so we were just chatting and he said um I think Banbury United were interested in kind of vamping it up a little bit. They just brought in Andy Wing. Um, you know, they were looking forward to next season and they wanted to step everything up a notch. And we ended up having a chat with them about custom kits and being their kit supplier. And that all went through. So then suddenly we were supplying their kits and then we were sponsoring. And then I just wanted to, I just want to help that club as much as I can. It's my hometown club. So we sponsored their floodlights. Then lockdown come in and they lost their town end sponsor which is their main um end for the fans so we came in and agreed to pay a price to sponsor them so the club weren't out without money this season um and especially for the fa cup game as well you know it was huge for the club and we produced a commemorative shirt for it that the players wore on the day and i think it's just nice like we've always had a saying with the terrace is that dominantly we take from the football industry so you know we're taking money from football fans for products and we always have to bear that in mind. So we must always give back to the football community. So we focused that with Banbury United being my hometown club and where the business is based. And then we're only expanding on that. Now we're in discussion with two sponsoring two other non-league teams next season. Um, there's about 30 open conversations for kit supply. And so we're launching a full kit supply catalog in January. 
um, and starting to kind of try and take over that market a little bit, especially in non-league, but pushing up. We're in talks with an EFL club regarding kit supply for not next season, but the season after. Um, so that will be where we really make a dent in the kit supply kind of industry as a, you've got your Adidas's, your Nikes, your Jomas and all that kind of stuff. And as soon as we can kind of tie up this deal with an EFL club, um, that's when the heads will turn and we'll be the full kit suppliers to the club. So, um, and that's all come from doing with Banbury United. So it's been quite nice to able to keep it all local and keep it and support our local club. Um, and they're, you know, they're great guys down there. I met Andy just before Christmas, um, sorry, just before the FA Cup match. Um, and we were discussing the build up to Christmas and everything and showed him the shirts. And yeah, he's a, he's a very, very pleasant guy. It was really nice to meet him. And the same for James Constable as well. Like I think we've got, uh, cause we did the Oxford United 2010 Wembley shirt replica for, for the club. And we've got a signed one hanging up in the office from Constable. So we use our little, we, we took one down with when we went and met the club and we were like, Oh, you couldn't just sign this for us. Could you? Cause it's, <laughs> it's the shirt. We, we replicated the shirt, but it's quite, it's kind of known for you wearing it based on that yeah. final at Wembley. <laughs> So do you do you get um how does the idea come about for a new product? Do you get a lot of people saying, Can you do this, can you do yeah. that? Or is it you guys brainstorm? How does that come about? It's it's a bit of both. Um we're very fan led. Um, you know, if you come to me with an idea now and it took me half an hour to do the design, I could have the product up within thirty five minutes and I've got to take no risk because we're printing on demand. So that gives us a humongous advantage over club shops because we can act upon trends. So, you know, Oxford United is playing this weekend and, you know, one of your strikers goes and scores 10 goals in one game. It's something that's never been done before. It's something, scores an elaborate overhead kit. You know, it's something that everybody's talking about. We can capitalise on that instantly. But because we've got myself as a graphic designer, we've just hired another full-time graphic designer and we have a full-time illustrator, we can literally act quick, work on impulse and have stuff up straight away to capture the moment. Um, and that's where sometimes club shops will struggle or other companies will struggle because something happens, but then it takes them a week to get the design done, a week to get the products made, and then suddenly no one really cares anymore. So um, we work a lot on impulse kind of product development. Um, and yeah, we, you know, we have internal meetings where we discuss what products we want to release, new ideas, and our illustrators and designers come to us with new ideas. And we're really big on using kind of fan illustrators. So we stock a lot of products. So there's a couple of illustrators we use who are amazing, do amazing kind of club-based work for the club they support, um, whether it's drawings and illustrations and designs. But they're, with the utmost respect, they're, they're sat in the bedroom doing designs. You know, how can they put their stuff on products and so on? So we open that whole world for them and we pay them a royalty per sale. Um, so we're big, very big on being fan-led and we're also very big on planning meetings. So we kind of plan new products and new ideas six months in advance. So it's a little bit of both, really, on that one. One of the things that Fraser and I chatted about before was talking about um, sort of products that come around very quickly as a local lad, you'll know that we were beaten by Swindon a couple of weeks ago and they immediately released mm -hmm. a t-shirt and a mug commemorating their first win over us in, uh, in yeah. about 20 years which it, it kind of I, a lot of their fans were doing the usual kind of delete this is embarrassing and it kind of for a lot of Oxford fans we were we were obviously 
devastated with the result, but it cheered us up no end that they'd released a, a mug to commemorate a win like that. If you, do, you know, is that something you'd kind of go, no, that's just, if somebody came to you, would you kind of go, that's not a good idea? It's one of the things about the terrace. We are who we are. We're, we're a group of lads that support football that know how to run a business, running a business. We are real people. We have real opinions and we're not always going to please everyone. So I happily openly spoke about that on Twitter and I think my my tweet was I think I retweeted it saying that you know three years ago we asked ourselves the question that does the sports merchandise industry need a bit of a shake up and that pretty much answers your question. It's kind of it's yes it's embarrassing. I think how do I word it? Um, it's <laughs> it's trying to be thoughtful without putting any thought in it. It's trying to think outside the box. It's so I think, first of all, I think you have to break it down into, into kind of categories. And I think the first thing is that, one, is it really, yes, you, you've beaten your rivals, of course, that's great. Is it really something that people want to mug in their cupboard over, over a league win? It, it's, it's not the FA Cup final. It's not the it's not the match on who decides who stays up this season. And it turns out it's against your rivals. And there's this big commotion about it. You know, fans weren't even at the game. I think that's a humongous factor to take part of this is that you're trying to sell a product to fans that weren't even there. You know, and I think maybe their thinking is that that's what makes it more special. But for me, it's polar opposite. How can I, how can you try and push a product to someone that no one can, for me, maybe it's because our products are different, but you know, you take the 1980, I think it's 85 Wang shirt mug, the kit mug. People buy that because that's their first shirt. That's the first shirt their dad bought them. That's the first season they went with their uncle. That's the first... They remember that was their first goal. They remember that shirt. Their dad's got that shirt and still wears it to this day. There's a reason they buy that product. And no one can, could have bought that mug and gone, I remember that day. Because they're all sat at home. It's... You know, and I think it's... <clears throat> where I say break it down into categories, because it's not just about the topic that they were creating that product from... I think the biggest element to take away from it is the lack of design in it. It's literally a block bit of aerial text. And, you know, because of the because of the nature that we work in, I see that product and the first thing I thought was, well, they're instantly infringing on trademarks because they don't have the right to print the Oxford United badge. Now, I have to pay a royalty to print that Oxford United badge. So, you know, part of me wanted to reply, actually reply to their tweet and say, well, does this now mean that I can release a full set of Swindon Town products tomorrow using your badge? Because you're obviously, by releasing this product, accepting that anyone can just use a badge however they want. You know, I have to pay royalties to clubs to use their badges. Some clubs, I have to pay an advance fee to use their badge. It's, And then I think it was really naive for a football club, as part of the EFL, as part of you know a, the bigger footballing organisations that are trying to tackle counterfeiting and trying to tackle illegal streams and tackle all of these things in football to just go and stick another club's badge on a product that they're selling. I think it's, it paints the wrong picture and it just sets another precedent for how easy it is to counterfeit and so on. And obviously that's not, you know, that's not the bigger, the bigger topic regarding that product. I think the biggest topic regarding that product is that it's just, I can imagine being a Swindon fan and literally just hanging your head and going, oh, for God's <laughs> sake, like it's... But I didn't, even, was, I didn't. I mean, I tweeted it, but I tweeted about it, but I didn't follow it afterwards because, obviously, realistically, I wasn't that interested. But it's. 
I got told today by someone that it was deleted shortly after, and I think the backlash of it. Almost, but the, the thing is, the backlash almost gave Oxford United fans the the end end laugh, and it shouldn't have been that way because Swindon won that day. It's you know, it's a bit of thought goes a long way. Like and sitting there on what looked like MS Paint and typing out a score result and sticking a badge on, that is not a club shop, how a club shop should be merchandising. And I'm not afraid to say that publicly, like no club shop, even at non-league level, should be merchandising in that way. Not when there are, we've just done a deal, we, you know, we tied up recently with Bury AFC. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Bury, <clears throat> the Phoenix Club. And we've got, you know, we speak to them literally every other day at the moment because they're just so excited to be able to develop merchandise and so on but they want to do it right and we have this kind of understanding with them where everything's done so strategically like there's two products that they wanted and I said I did test presses and was like you know they just don't look very good and they were like we're happy to take your opinion and I've said to them I won't sell nothing that I don't think looks visually good I think that's the whole part I mean be all and end all that's the whole part of merchandising and the club have been so we did the kit mugs we did the kit um, blankets and all this stuff and then the club started getting artwork given to them by fans you know there was the the striker that scored their first ever goal in their first game come back someone designed this comic strip that was called Thunderstrike with a caricature of him built into it and stuff and you know he was like you can have it make money off of it if it means the club survives then use my artwork just credit me and you know this is a non-league club you're telling me that there aren't Swindon fan art workers, there aren't graphic designers, illustrators from these clubs that the club can't be working with. And it's just like, you know, it's, and I think because I'm a graphic designer, I hold more passion than anyone else about it. But when I saw the product, that was the biggest thing for me. It was just like, there was no care. There's no thought. It's a quick, how do we make a thought? How do we make a bit of cash out of this? And there could have been a whole lot more. There could have been a whole different kind of avenue to make cash out of it, which is something we would have discussed with them if we were licensed with them. Um, you know, not to upset Oxford fans, but obviously we're <laughs> we're open to all clubs, so it's we're a business, so it's we have to remain unbiased, and it's you know, and this is what we speak to clubs about on a daily basis. You know, I was on the phone to one of the Premier League clubs this morning about a new terrace section to be built into the club shop, and. Um, my ideas for it and different product types and how we can do stuff that's not been done before and you know but if you know there's certain clubs out there that don't reply to emails and I think tweets like that show the ones that think they can run it off and do it themselves and kind of want to keep everything in house and they're kind of losing out from it and it was a very very interesting kind of I think I had more fun reading the comments as I'm sure you did too like I think I spent a whole evening reading them. <laughs> I think you're right as well. It, it, it is true. I think in the past, clubs, like you said, just stuck a badge on it and thought, our oh, fans will buy it and no thoughts put into it. And I think doing what you're doing, and I'm, I've got on my screen at the moment, I'm looking at the stuff that you've got and you're right. It's it's kind of the you know the classic old Headington United one, which I might yeah. well buy for my dad because he played for them when, when he was a kid. Amazing. So that, might, that might well be a Christmas thing there's the unipart kits which are classic ones from you know a, a, an era in our history there's yeah the 2010 build base there's the wang which is the classic you know <coughs> great sponsor I and mean, nobody knew who the hell they were but no of course wang, and... so it looked great you know it was but there's wonderful. there's the whole point of it simon it's you know 
you just said about the build base kits. I'm not, I, you know, I'm from the area. Mm. I remember those build. If I was to go on there and buy something now, it would be the build base kits straight away because I had them shirts. I'm from Banbury. Oxford mm. were my local biggish team and so on. I spent from, I think when I was 13, 14, 15, I was getting the train up kind of every few weeks to, to Oxford from Banbury on a kid's ticket and going to the game. And, um, you know, I had that blue build base shirt. Because when you're that age, you want to buy the shirt when you're going to football and so on. And, you know, so that kind of speaks volumes about what we're doing is that people look back to their first games and stuff. And we sometimes we release kit mugs and stuff because the pattern's crazy. The shirt's just too good not to put up. And some fans will go, why have you put that up? That's the season we got relegated. But it'll be one of our best sellers because that season, whether you got relegated or not, that season is... 10,000 people's first ever game. It's, mm. do you know what I mean? It's, it's X amount of people's last ever game. It's X amount of people's last season that their dad was alive. It's There's so many different connectivities with football shirts and fan culture and chants and legends. And there's so much connectivity of it that that's the market we're tapping into. And we can't live forever off kit mugs. You know, we're not stupid. It's not... Eventually, everybody will have a kit mug. It's, you know, we can't... <laughs> Eventually, we're going to run out of kits. It's, it's as simple as that. So you'll notice, whilst we haven't done it with Oxford yet, but it, it it's in motion, is we're starting to adapt out of kits as well. Like, whilst we're still uploading, you know, a catalogue of kit mugs and kit products every single week, um, we're starting to use our illustrators more for, you, you know, you'll see the Leeds United promotion range, where our illustrator did illustrations of Bielsa and Hernandez and Click and everyone with... Um, you know, in this pump it up style and they're all illustrations and you know they're, they're the best sellers on the website because you'll never get stuff like that in club shops ever. So where do you kind of, I was going to say what's the dream for this but I think you're kind of living it already. But um, you're definitely where, living the dream, where, I'll give you where, that much. Yeah, where do you kind of see this in say five years from now? What's the, what's the, what's the, um, the ambition? I mean, when some people asked us that two years ago and they said, well, you know, where do you want to be in five yeah. years time? And where we wanted to be in five years time was a year ago. So we're already five years ahead of where we wanted to be. So, you know, I aim big. It's with the kit supply coming in and all that kind of stuff, you know, five years time, I want to be providing kit supply to EFL clubs. I want to be you know, I'm not afraid to say it. I want to be taking contracts off of major kit suppliers. I want to be taking contracts off of them and disrupting it. I want to be, I don't want, and, you know, I talk regarding about kit suppliers and stuff is, I'm not going to say that we are the reason for it, but if you look at the last decade of shirts amongst Championship, League One, League Two and Premier League, how many of those shirts are plain red and white stripes, plain blue shirts, plain, there's, there's nothing to them, you know. We use a website online that actually has photos of every single football kit for every single team across every single season. And you can see, you know, it hit the 90s and everything's crazy. Everything's weird patterns. Everything's unique to the club. You know, you had the Man United shirt with Old Trafford built into the shirt. You had, you know, all these crazy patterns and so on. And then if you look at around the kind of 2000 era, 20 years ago, it all starts to fade out. It starts fading out more and more and more and more until you hit around 2008 onwards and it's just plain shirts. They're just plain and there's nothing to them. You have the odd special shirt, maybe a third shirt as a mini money spinner. Um, and this is all just down to template work. It's just because, you know, a supplier, a major supplier will have 10 clubs that all wear blue 
and they can just produce rather than producing a different shirt for every club they can produce 10 times the amount of the same shirt and get it cheaper which means the club are getting it cheaper but the price is carried on increasing every season so the only ones making the only ones getting something out of it is everyone except for the fans because they're just not really getting a memorable shirt um you know we're licensed with fulham and we joked about it when we did the deal with them we said you know this is one of the most important licenses we've got and they couldn't kind of really work out why and i said because without your club badge your a, a decade of your era is just a pizza hut logo there's nothing it's a white shirt so if i put that on a mug it's just a pizza hut logo with a collar so having the badge actually gives me that opportunity to actually now make it look like a fulham product um and there's a lot of clubs like that and we want to with the kit supply thing we have a method and a logistical kind of pattern put in place where we can go bespoke on every single kit so yes we are making a template catalog it's a template catalog that like no one is ever going to have seen before there's no plain blue shirts that you can buy they're all you know there's everything from marble to faded stripes to there's all these crazy patterns different styles that you can have in any colors and then when, when the team places in order we can then say right what are your nicknames when were you established we can start introducing little bespoke touches into the shirt to make it custom to them um and whilst the majors can do that now it's not done too much and if you look at the last two seats well mostly just this season you you can kind of see a pattern this season that i think and it's not just down to us we're not reinventing the wheel there's a lot of people that are doing similar things to us or you know doing things outside the box but i think with our success in the last three years and us kind of going outside the box i think we forced the majors into making change and that's not again not just us but the whole kind of football community of actually speaking up and you know you see it you'll see it on twitter as well you know clubs are releasing shirts two years ago and fans are just going this crap like it, it's the same as every other season it's just a plain blue shirt it's a plain yellow shirt and i think with us then going outside the box and other companies and brands going outside the box and pushing this kind of new era of there's a there are other options than the plain and simple I think some of the major kit suppliers have now had to step back and go, right, this season we've actually got to do something different. And you go and look at some of the kits this season and it feels like we've got a bit of kit culture back. There's a bit of pride in the shirt. There's a bit of different, there's something different about it. And, you know, if we've even had a 1% change in causing that, then what we're doing is working for the reason we set out for. Um, but I think, you know, five, 10 years from now, it will be, we want to be as big as, adidas nike we want to be as big as them we want to rival them we want to challenge them but at the same time we don't want to forget our roots that we are here to provide out of the box and fan-led merchandise so for us the big question is well why can't we do both so you know a lot of the major brands will focus on one thing or another um we're just looking at pretty much just taking over everything one step at a time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that then as well about um the, uh, the the importance of, of not having a sort of boring kit. I've got I've got a friend who's not into football at all, and he asked me a couple of years ago, "Why do you all get really excited when there's a kit launch? Who who cares what? Surely you just want the team to win, don't you?" And it's kind of yeah, it's it's hard to explain. If you you just kind of have to say, look, you just have to get it. You just have to understand yeah. that it's an identity. It's a and it and it it taps so deep into nostalgia, doesn't it? The memories 100%. of who wore the kit and the games that happened in that kit and it's, and every because. If anyone ever says, 
I think if you take a kit pattern, it's not, it's never ever just a kit. It is, you know, it's the football shirt that your favourite player wore. It's the football shirt that you remember opening up on Christmas Day. It's the football shirt that you remember your dad drunk falling down the steps in the stand at. It's the, it, there's so much to it. It's, it's the story of walking to the ground and seeing, you know, thousands of people in the same shirt and that feeling of match day and your first game, your last game, the game where you split up with your missus because you got too drunk at the pub and didn't turn up at home on time. There's stories and the most elaborate stories behind every kit. And I think when we hit that era of just plain shirts, we lost that a little bit. I think the whole merchandising and just general sports industry lost it. It just all went. It's like, how can you just remember a plain white shirt? It's like, you know, everyone focuses on the little details. The little details do matter, but how a shirt is cut or it's got an extra panel in it, fans don't care. Fans care about what they remember, and that's a visual effect of the shirt. Um, it's the little details. It's the little prints inside the collar, the little things on the edge of the sleeves. They're the things you remember. Um, so that's what we, you know, that's what all of our research has been around really. And we're dropping, um, in January, we're actually dropping our first ever lifestyle range. So to back up our kit supply deal, we're doing a lot of team wear with track suits and now developing on from the track suits, whether you call it like a Nike or an Adidas or whatever, we're, we're actually going to be introducing our first ever lifestyle range. So that's for everything from hoodies to jackets, to t-shirts, to polo shirts, to, uh, women's leggings, women's hoodies, and all this kind of stuff that's all branded with a terrace, like a, um, and that's our kind of introduction into sportswear. So um, that's a whole other avenue outside of kit supply. So there's a lot going on at the moment. That's <laughs> and with Black Friday just gone and Christmas coming up, it's just chaos at the moment. <laughs> but it's one of those kind of situations where you think, well, why can't, why shouldn't you do that? Hundred you know, percent. Super Super Dry was it was a guy on Chel, you know, Cheltenham Market or wherever it was, you know, and yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, why why shouldn't that work? Why why shouldn't no, the just biggest, be the Adidas and the Nike? Yeah, the biggest story, dominate? the biggest story we take inspiration from is is Gymshark. You know, Gymshark was a guy that was cutting and making gym clothes in his basement and stuff, and like you know you look X amount of years on and it's one of the most valuable companies in the world. It's you, you can't ignore things like that. And I think if you've got the passion and the drive behind it, you can, you can make a change. You can change everything. And we are very much, we've just introduced a new tagline of against all odds. Um, because we, we always see ourselves as the underdog, you know, we're going into kit supply and we're competing with people like Nike and Adidas and Puma and so on. It's, we're always going to be the underdog, but one day we won't be. Um, and, we quite like spreading that message. And I think our customers and our community that we've built, they like the fact that we we acknowledge we're an underdog and that's why they want to support us and they believe in us as people and what our ethos is about. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and reel off like all the charity work and stuff we do, but, you know, we firmly believe in giving back. We've always said to us, what's the difference? We've always said regarding the businesses, what's the difference between making £10 million a year and making £5 million a year? Yeah, it's £5 million, but what realistically can you do with another £5 million? It's, yeah, we could go and adapt another thing and make more money and then take another unit. But why does that all have to happen now? Why can't we... I'm quite happy making £5 million instead of £10 million. And then using the other £5 million to give back to the people that have made us £5 million. Do you know what I mean? I think I'm not... You know, that's not taken away from any other company. Other companies do so much work for charity as well and so much, donate so much. And, but that almost become, that almost came about when they could. 
And I think that's the big difference with us. We've done it from the start. It's kind of been from our first sale is, you know, we were very early on. We did a partnership with Calm, the men's mental health charity. Um, so we donate to them regularly. And then we did the NHS kit mug this year. We've just done an MND association mug. And we just, we always focus on how we can give back because ultimately we like to give back in areas that will benefit the people shopping with us, whether that's we donate to football club food banks and, you know, the list goes on and it's, I think it's an important thing. It's not something to kind of, it's not something that we expect to discuss that often or anything, but it's a kind of an avenue that we feel if the business is built on that front from early on, it will also help us not ever forgetting kind of the ethos of the brand and where, where we've come from, because we don't want to be that huge brand that just forgets about everything where we are. You know, we reply to every tweet that comes in, every email gets a response a postman posted a photo today delivering all the posts with a terrorist mask on. So we messaged him and said, choose a mug off the store, we'll send you a mug just to say thanks for the work you're doing because ultimately it might not be him delivering all our parcels, but that network is doing absolute wonders at the moment to keep everything running. And, you know, we, we, we take note of these little things that all of our customers, just like us, are just real people. It's like, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with having a bit of empathy and a bit of kind of open-heartedness to everything yeah <laughs> and, and it's it's very easy football often gets bad press you know the, the, the main exactly. media will, will pick up on you know well why aren't fans taking a pay cut during the lockdown the things that's happened recently with the black lives matter and the neil mm-hmm. and, and millwall and that kind of stuff but you know phrases are the same as me you know we've been involved with stuff within oxford united where you're raising money for for charities you mentioned food banks we've done you know we've done that with, yeah. with oxford and football fans the world over will do an awful lot in their communities a, a huge importance in the communities of football clubs and they, it doesn't get mentioned very often you know you have to kind of really force the message out there for yeah of course to, particularly to listen so i think you saying that and, and, and it's kind of a, a core part of what you're doing is a is a good thing it should be shouted it should be talked about because it, no, it's, for sure. it's it's as important as as as, as the product that you're yeah no you're, definitely you're, and i want it i never want this brand to forget about the difference it tries to make it might only make a difference to 10 people at a food bank or something but if we can make a difference to a certain amount of football fans then we're happy with that it's we've just always been happy with you know we make enough profit to pay everyone's wages pay all the bills there's profit in the business account left over and that gets bigger and bigger as we get bigger and bigger. But we have never been a company that's gone, right, we've only made this much profit. How do we make more profit? The fact of the matter is we've made profit. What can we do to give a little back now? And then we'll find a campaign that we want to back or so on. And don't get me wrong, we're never going to put the business in jeopardy. We're not going to be going to our staff. We can't pay you this month because we gave it all to a food bank. You know, our staff come first. We treat them like... We treat them with the utmost respect. You know, our staff kind of base at the moment are literally grafting to the cows come out. They just they just do not stop at the moment, and we're quite a. Uh, we run a business. We've Paul and I have both worked full time jobs for other employers and so on, and I think doing that is we've learned how we would want to run a business, and you know. As, you know, during June and July and August, it was quite quiet. Lockdown was there. There was no football on. And we were still doing well on the store. You know, lockdown was absolutely incredible for us, if I'm honest. But we'd be finished at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 2, half 2, 3 o'clock, we'd be finished. And we'd say to the staff, you can go home. It's fine. Like, 
paid, like just go home, go be with your families. Like I'd rather you be at home enjoying yourself than stood here hoovering for the fifth time today. Like if there's nothing to do, just go home. And, but you know, the guys that work for us and girls as well, um, they know that we are so flexible and we are so open with that. And it's now we're hit black Friday and Christmas they're there till eight o'clock at night without question. They're there going in on Sundays to do stuff there. You know, it's it's that give and take. And we like to kind of just have that brand ethos that there is a real life outside of work. And it's definitely a give and take. You know, you'll always be paid at the end of the month. And we just do what we need to do to get the job done. Um, So, yeah, I think as we grow and the whole where we want to be in five and ten years is just the aim for the stars. You know, we shoot for the sky and stuff. And but we're ensuring we stay in the same mind frame that we're in now that's the biggest kind of focus for us is keeping that personal touch we use the tagline a lot of more than just an order number and we've said that that can't ever be lost like we have to keep that even if we are suddenly a multi-million pound business that's got hundreds of thousands of orders a month and stuff we still want to be replying to people on twitter and chatting to them about their products and you know we feel it's a really important part of what we do Changing tack slightly, not not <laughs> not to get away from that is wonderful, and it, it, you're absolutely right. There's 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 stuff that that clubs can do that 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 um are the right the right way of doing things, mm. you know, absolutely. And and and, and in business, you, you're absolutely right. I think most people are listening to that and go, actually, yeah, you 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 treat people like you want to be treated. Hundred percent. That shouldn't, you know, that sh- that should go for everybody, whether they they're working for you or providing a service or whatever it is it's yeah no hugely very important and to- yeah totally agree but sort of changing tax slightly uh, yeah you mentioned sort of lots of lead stuff on there who who you know who who's your biggest seller which clubs love <laughs> the sort of stuff that you do is it you know it, I, leeds. I obviously leeds is always yeah it's <laughs> leeds that old leeds will take more yeah how many did you sell in newcastle yeah leeds are the sold more yeah <laughs> no like uh you know, Leeds fans literally back us to the earth. Like, we can't thank them enough. They're the reason this business is where it is. Amongst other, obviously, every football fan that shops with us is just as important as anyone. But from the start, Leeds fans took us under, they almost took us under their wing. And maybe it's just because they saw a product, maybe the right person saw it and retweeted it. I don't know. Um, but they've literally backed us to the earth. And we've had them, we've had certain Leeds fans visit in the office. We've had everything like, they're just so behind our brand, it's unbelievable. And, you know, other notable men- mentions go for, you know, Rangers fans, Sunderland fans, Pompey fans, even with our licensed clubs of like Preston, like Preston's like probably a very close um, regarding popularity. And it's like one of my favourite stories regarding this brand is that Preston's retail is actually owned by an external group. It's not owned by the club. So an external group will, an external sports brand will buy the rights to the club shop and operate the club shop, which is really beneficial for some clubs. Some clubs don't have the infrastructure to handle stock ordering and management and all this kind of stuff. So an external sports brand will take the rights to the club shop for X amount of money for a season and then pay a royalty of sales in the club shop and everybody's happy and the club haven't got to worry about it. What comes with that is that it's absolutely so it's really hard to license with them because obviously they've paid an upfront fee to take the rights to the club shop so it's kind of like well why would we want you selling things and make and us getting a smaller royalty when we could just sell them things and make all the profit 
and rightly so, as a business front, they've got uh, a, an investment to call back. So Preston was a really hard one to get over the line, and we spent the best part of two years knocking on doors, nothing, knocking on doors, and it was kind of like, you know, we're interested, but it's not something we can make work right now, and Preston fans were just something else. So every time that we posted on Twitter, like, oh, we've got a new license club, announcing it tomorrow or whatever, Preston fans just flooded us with announce Preston, announce Preston, <laughs> announce Preston, every single time. Then we'd say, oh, new product's going up in an hour, and it'd be like, announce Preston, announce Preston. But they would tag the club in every single tweet. And then we'd get, then there'd be tweets like shouting at the club, going, why aren't you licensing with the terrace? We want the terrace. It was literally like, it'd become like a riot. And then I think the club then spoke to the retail store owners and were like, look, it looked, the fan, it's what the fans want. We've got to do something about it. Like you know, when Preston are a club that like genuinely care so much about their fans. The things they do are remarkable, and the 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 retail group kind of got back in touch with us and were like, right, I think through fan demand we've got to do something here because it just looks like we're ignoring the fans. So we developed a range with them. We you know we punched out a deal that were, that suited everybody, and we actually announced that deal with a video of. Um, the phone ringing and it had the terrace on the screen. And then when they answered the phone and lifted it to their ear, it had a Preston phone case on it. Um, but before that scene cut in was a minute of all of the announced Preston tweets just flashing <laughs> and flooding the screen constantly. Um, and it was just, that announcement was just something else because we obviously did our usual, we're announcing a new club tomorrow. And then people were like, replying going if it's not Preston we're rioting if it's what announced Preston it was just over and over again and there was just that buzz about it because Preston fans were like at some point it's got to be us and (laughs) and then we obviously put the announcement out and we didn't even post anything we literally just posted the video we didn't even say welcome in Preston we didn't do nothing we just posted the video and it just went absolutely phenomenal and it's just I just loved the story of it because it was everything we stood for that fan voice and f- fan kind of demand is everything in football. You know, people people go on, you know, fan power is like everything that this brand is built on. We're a fan-led business. If if 100 fans come to us tomorrow asking for the same product, you bet we're going to be doing that product. If fans suddenly want something about a player, it can be done. We want to keep them happy. They're the ones that are making sure my rent gets paid, my staff's daughters get fed, and so on and so on. Like, if what the, within reason, what the fans want is we will happily be led by them. And you take things like, and that many Preston fans were just constantly bombarding the club that the club had to listen. And it, you take the whole pay per view football, that many fans got behind a campaign to not buy it and not watch it, that fan voice was heard. And it was scrapped within, what, two weeks, three weeks? And, you know, I think fans, a lot of the time, feel very much that their voice isn't heard, that they are just another number, they're just another means of making money for a club. And I can, you know, I will always champion any any kind of, uh, kind of discussion where fan power is the most important thing in football. Fan voice is everything, like... It's just a case of using... So, you know, we see fan campaigns all the time. And if, if I think that the what they're kind of championing is worth getting behind, 
I'm fortunate enough that I've got a terrace Twitter that's got 40,000 followers and we've got a mailing list with 45,000 subscribers and Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff. Like, if there's a campaign that's being led by fans for change that I fully believe in, we'll get behind it and we'll use our platform for voice. And I think by doing things like that is, you know, you wouldn't see your major suppliers of merchandise and stuff on Twitter championing against pay-per-view and stuff because they're worried that the FA will fall out with them. So I'm like, it's, if I'm honest, I don't care. Like this brand has been built by fans and it's all about what fans want. And if we've got a platform that we can help them be heard, if we agree with it, of course, we'll champion right behind it because I think just that little thing aspect in football about us licensing request and it just proved that fan voice and fan power is like the biggest aspect of football and you know I think fans have I think over the last kind of 18 months or 12 months fans have had quite a lot of the raw end of the deal in a lot of aspects and you know it's not that they've been hard done by by clubs some clubs have acted not as great as other clubs and it obviously it all comes down to budgets and cash flow and everything but I think, you know, in the football world as a general, fans have been a little bit left out the last 12 months, whether it's waiting for refunds on season tickets and being told they should um, donate their season ticket money to the club for survival and all this stuff. It's kind of, that pressure should never be put on fans. It should never be put on fans. Like, And I think that's where sometimes I feel fans don't feel they have a voice and that they are, they're not really that individual support of the club. They're just part of a cash cow all the time and... Um, so yeah, the, the whole fan voice thing is like a really big aspect of us. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and that also goes with, how, it shows how important fans are. The fact that games are being played behind closed doors up until very recently and how important fans have been missed, you know, how much we've been missed by players. And, and it's nice to, to have managers, certainly our managers said how, how important we've been, you know, 100%. how much we've been missed. To, and it, it, yeah, I think maybe we won't be taken for granted now i think clubs perhaps will realize just how important you know fans are to yeah to and i think history. it's i think it a whole a whole relook needs to be done is a football i mean i'm not talking about oxford united's level but premier league levels and stuff like a club shouldn't be offering two hundred twenty thousand pound a week contracts if they can't do it without fans it's as simple as that because now it's come to a point where fans are being asked to pay for season tickets on top of paying 20 quid a game pay-per-view, on top of this, on top of that, and just so the club can survive. You know, you've got a certain, as you'll all, you'll all know the club, but there's you know there's football clubs that are making 82 redundancies on the same day as signing a £37 million player and stuff. And it's yeah. just, do you know what I mean? It's Some things need to be re-looked at, and I think this has highlighted that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, you go from strength to strength and, and it, it does it, it, yeah well i'm sure you will but it, it it will hopefully it will drive that kind of yeah, yeah definitely it's, it's about the fans you know and if if it start you know that that will hopefully get into all all sorts of aspects of the football industry yeah you know, it's, if it can, it's all about being disruptive can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's brilliant that's brilliant so really really Thanks very much for, for joining us, Carl. It's been it's been really interesting. I'm sure our fans will be really interested in in hearing the story and and, and some of the stories around around the uh, the terrace. Um, no, I really appreciate yeah. the time. Thank you. Thank you very no, much. That's been great. Thank you very much. And cheers. We'll see Welcome. You take time. care. Cheerio. See you later.